You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another episode of This Week in Sports. It is Friday, June 11th, 2021. I'm your host, The Pody. As always, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, It's a bit of a dreary day on this Friday. It's surprising. It got somewhat extremely cold by our standards that we've come to to now uh, to understand the last week last couple weeks as we um, drudge on through this last bit of the school year and, and get to the summer it started to get really really hot and humid upwards of the 90s and, and whatnot so um yeah yesterday was a bit of a shock it dropped to like the the, the mid 60s later in the night and then today it was just much of the same like I said dreary you know, cloudy. It ra- it was raining a little bit um, as I was driving home from work this afternoon. But here we are. It's Friday. There is a lot of great sporting events on tonight, especially, but throughout this weekend as well. So uh, you've got Degrom pitching up against Blake Snell tonight. He could set some more history. Just a ridiculous .62 ERA. So I'm looking forward to that game at 7:10. You've got Sixers. And Hawks, I'm looking forward to that game. Sixers on the road. They split the first two games. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I really, really like the Sixers um, on the road. I was leery going into this series with the Embiid injury. um, But he's looked great in the first two games. And um, I just think that they're on the road. They're favored. It's only two points. I laid the 100 to win, I think, uh, 93. I think it was like minus 108, but I'm confident in that one. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I want to see what the Nuggets can do later on in the evening tonight. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot to get through. This is it going to be um, – I mean, I have a lot of notes for, for this episode especially, but uh, hopefully this doesn't take up as much time as the last episode. So we'll just um, quickly go ahead and, and, and get things started and, and, and jump right in. Um. All right, so let's start off with the weekend because a lot happens from the time I, I air this show on Fridays, right? I'm ca- recapping the previous week, and then we have you know Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday. That's three days, and a lot happens in, in the sporting world in those three days. So we're going to start off with Sunday night. Christian Pulisic and the U.S. men's national team get an awesome, awesome victory to win the uh, National League title over Mexico. I sort of didn't know that this game was on, but then I was alerted that it was coming on. And it was, I believe they played this game in like Denver, but it came on around like midnight on a Sunday night. It was a really, really weird start time. So I was very confused by that. I had no chance to watch it, but it turned out to be an absolute thriller um, the U.S. versus, versus uh, Mexico rivalry is starting to heat up. It used to be dominated by Mexico, but we've had a lot of really close, you know, one-goal matches of, of late in the last few years. And, and uh, you know, Pulisic 
coming off, you know, winning uh, the Champions League uh, with with Chelsea and riding that high, and, and he helped solidify this men's national team, and, and they're looking to make a strong run now because, let's face it, we know as far as superpowers go in, in the sport, uh, the U.S. men's team is not is not there. We, we usually um, don't fare well in, in the World Cups. We didn't qualify for the last one or the upcoming one. I don't – yeah, the last one, sorry. Um, but, yeah, hopefully this is a step in the right direction. But, uh, yeah, great, great game. There were two penalties in extra time. Two. Um, it's just unbelievable. The U.S. found themselves down – uh, twice in this game, they erased both those deficits. It was back and forth. Um, there was a hand on a throat. Uh, a coach was red carded. There were multiple players hit in the head by objects thrown thrown from the stands. If you could believe that, uh, from what we well, you can believe that because what we've been seeing on TV since basically this the COVID restrictions have been lifted at stadiums and arenas. Fans don't know how to act after being you know cramped inside for for a year and a half they they don't know where to that their anger and, and where to thrust that that energy so uh yeah they're just acting all sorts of crazy um but it was 130 minutes of absolute madness uh like i said the difference in this one was christian Polisic burying a cold-blooded extra time penalty right in the upper 90 i mean if you know what soccer is you know the upper 90 that is a coveted spot and man, you have to be pretty damn good to hit a PK in the upper 90. Just unbelievable. And at just 22 years old, he's the face of U.S. soccer, obviously. But what a goal. Uh, U.S.'s goalkeeper um, went down. Uh, starter Zach Steffen, he was injured. So they've had to bring in their backup goalie, Ethan Horvath, who, I mean, to do what he did to get called upon in that game and have to make a late game save, just brilliant. Um, the difference in this game was the Pulisic PK, but 10 minutes later in extra time, Mexico was awarded a PK of their own um, when the VAR system, they reviewed it and they determined that one of the defenders on the U.S. team, it was a handball in the box, which if you know soccer, that's an automatic penalty kick. And Andres Guardado, one of Mexico's best players, um, Horvath guessed right, he dove right, and the kick went right. So Horvath, I mean, uh, uh, Guardado kicked it to his left, tried to keep it low on the ground because a lot of times these goalies dive low and they can just kick it, you know, right, right over them. Um, whenever I play FIFA, the best thing to do when you're going up against somebody for a penalty kick is just kick it right down the middle. The goalie always just guesses and dives. I mean, I won't, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time they will guess side to side and they dive and you see them kick it right down the middle for a goal. So it was absolute madness. I'll play those two clips here. First, the Pulisic goal, and then I'll play the um, save. in the upper 90 in a match in which the U.S. have shown so much character it's their first ever Champions League winner who played in the final who answers the call in the very next final USA 3 
Mexico two in extra time. And they're absolutely getting pelted in that corner, but what a confident strike here from Christian Pulisic. He drew the penalty kick, and he had nothing. He had, there was no hesitation in his mind. He wanted this spot kick, and he executed it perfectly. Memo Ochoa gets it the right way, but it's just too much power on it, too much precision, and too much accuracy. John Brooks, he didn't even want to look at it. He watched it on the screen. But what a confident strike there by Christian Pulisic to put his team up here in the second half of extra time. Well, he put that up with the spiders live. Yeah, so you could feel the electricity in, in that stadium. Excuse me. Um, But, yeah, uh, you could hear the announcer too, John Brooks, I think it was. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, it was funny because if you watched the video and you saw the penalty kick, he couldn't even watch Pulisic. He turns his back and goes and, and watches on, on the big screen monitor. Um, so that, that was actually kind of funny, you know, uh, soccer players and their superstitions or whatever. But um, so that was, that, that gave the U.S., I think it was a 3-2 lead. And then just 10 minutes later, here's where Mexico is awarded the penalty kick. Um, and, you know, just a dagger to the U.S. team at this point because they're looking for the victory. And here it is, the uh, save from Horvath. Take a listen. Guardado from this spot. And he's denied! Horvath with the save of his life! The hero off the bench for the U.S.! And he collects into those safe hands. Yeah, so the uh, penalty kick was deflected, and then it kicked back out. There's a scrum for it, and then one of the Mexico players eventually just boots it, and Horvath, or Horvath um, catches the ball and then just falls down in elation because he knows he just made the save of his life, and the U.S. team is going to win this game. So that was an absolute absolutely awesome awesome moment for u.s men's national team to uh win the nash uh national league title there over mexico our formidable rivals there uh so that was pretty cool unfortunately like i said i did not get to watch it um i would have loved to be there actually because like i said that crowd was was um electric all right we're 141 weeks into this show this is episode number 141 i've been doing this show for a couple of years now and this is a sports show right sports centric you know sports centered show everything around this show is based on sports right um and this i think is a first i don't believe i have ever talked gymnastics on this show and correct me if i'm wrong but i i i know i'm the host i do this every day every week I'm almost positive I have never talked Olympic uh, gymnastics on this show until today. And why are we talking about gymnastics? Because, of course, it's the one and only Simone Biles. She has secured her seventh national all-around title. That is the most all-time, ladies and gentlemen. She did this on Sunday by winning at the U.S. Gymnastics Championships with a score of 119.650. I don't really know what that means, but obviously she had a higher score than everybody else. 
And believe it or not, she is still just 24 years of age. Um, seems like she's been around for a decade or more. She has won every all-around competition she has competed in since 2013. Her score was far ahead of the second-place finisher, Sunisa Lee, who finished with a score of 114.950. And that much I know in gymnastics, um, to win by that much is just uh, miraculous. I mean, that's a marvel. I, I mean, that is just absolute uh, cold-blooded assassin stuff right there. I mean, just amazing. And she she's just so calm, and she's so controlled with her movement. I mean, it's the stuff she... I don't know how these gymnasts spin and flip in the air. It looks like they're going to break their leg and the balance beam and, and uh, the uneven bars. Uh, I Just all of it. Um, it it's, it's incredible. Um, but just, yeah. She is obviously the most decorated American gymnast ever. She has a total of 30 combined Olympic and World Championship medals, trailing just two people ever in the history of the world. Um, that would be Belarus's Vitaly Sherbo, who has 33 medals, and Russia's Larissa uh, Latinina uh, with 32 medals for the most all-time she won four gold medals and one bronze medal, if you remember, back in uh, the 2016 Olympics, which was actually just her first Olympics. So, um, uh, yeah, just kudos to Simone Biles, who, by the way, I saw was live tweeting from, from that match. So, yeah, she just cool, calm, and collected. There were no nerves there whatsoever. Okay, let's talk a little Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. I got to preface this by saying last week I had a little bit of a brain cramp and I mistakenly uh, mixed up these matches. I thought it was Jake Paul fighting uh, Tyrone Woodley. That fight's not till August. I think I actually said it was Logan Paul, but fighting uh, Tyrone Woodley, and I knew something didn't sound right, so I probably stuttered or, or uh, you know, paused on my words there. But no, it was Logan Paul and Mayweather. I watched the whole eight-round fight, um, and it, it was... I mean, it, they came out in the first round. You could tell Logan Paul was doing his thing, and he's much bigger, obviously, over six feet tall and way heavier and whatnot he was trying to throw his punches and if you know anything about floyd mayweather that's not his style he's going to defend tire you out and then come in for the kill essentially he doesn't really get knockouts either and i think it was after the second round um i followed dave portnoy obviously you know founder ceo of barstool and he tweeted exactly what i was thinking and that was that this is going to be just like any other mayweather fight and if you thought differently you're a sucker and it that's exactly what I was thinking. I, I said it to myself. I was like, this is just like every other Mayweather fight you've ever seen. Like he's calculated. He 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 knows how to avoid getting the big taking the big hit. And then he comes in for the kill and he always wins. Um, and that's basically what it was. It was I it was entertaining. I mean, Logan Paul definitely held his own. I was a little surprised it went eight rounds either way. I thought all it was gonna take was, you know, one punch. Um in that button sweet spot under the chin and you know logan paul would be done for but um you know they both did a decent job there were, this was like this was an exhibition match so there was no there was no ringside judges so we don't have an official declaration of who won the fight um but here's a couple of clips here first from uh floyd mayweather and what he thought of the fight and what he thought uh his takeaways on logan paul's performance 
He went eight rounds with you. You said this was going to be entertainment. What'd you think about this? I had this? fun. You got to realize I'm not 21 anymore, but it's good to move around with these young guys, test my skills, just to have some fun. Great young fighter, strong, tough. He's better than I thought he was. What'd you think about him? What'd you think about Logan Paul? He says he wants to take this sport seriously. What do you think about him? As far as, as, far as with the big guys, the heavyweights, it's going to be kind of hard. But um, he's a tough, rough competitor. It was, you know, good action, have fun. And um, I was surprised by him tonight. Good, good little work. Good guy. Did you enjoy? Oh, yes, I had tonight. fun. I just want to thank all the fans that came out. You, you guys are unbelievable to all the fans that bought pay-per-view. Thank you. Tonight was a fun night. So it begs the question, if you had fun. All right, we're just going to stop that there because he goes on to talk about, oh, you should fight his brother, Jake Paul, and yada, yada, yada. We don't need to hear that. But the main the main point of this thing is that um, Logan Paul did hold his own, and Floyd Mayweather, yes, is 20 years older than him, and, and he's not dominant as he once was, but there was a time, let's not get it twisted, there was a point in this fight that it looked like it's quite possible that Floyd Mayweather knocked him out unconscious, and he hit him with a punch right in that sweet spot I was talking about, and then Logan Paul kind of fell and slinked over, like, over his shoulder, like when you're hugging somebody, and it seemed as though Mayweather was holding him up so he didn't fall down. That ha that did happen a couple times, and I will say when I watched it live, it didn't look like he knocked him out. But watching these replays and these clips on Twitter, it definitely looked like, in, you know, when they slowed it down, that Mayweather was like, uh-oh, this is, you know, an entertainment value type fight. I just knocked him out. Oh, crap, I got to hold him up so, he, you know, it doesn't – I got to make it look good. And then – but Logan Paul came back came to and the fight continued on but he's right if he does try to you know go at this as an actual fighter he's gonna have time uh trouble in his own weight class he'll get his ass absolutely just beat because his accuracy is not there he was throwing punches left and right but they were they weren't hitting uh, but with some practice you never know uh, i do believe his brother his younger brother jake paul is somebody to watch out for. He he could be a legit fighter. But it was, I guess, entertaining, if you want to call it that. I don't buy these types of things, but, you know, I tuned in and I did watch, so. And then Logan Paul had the, uh, what he was calling the $1 million um, PSA-graded 10 a holographic Charizard card that he had encased on a gold chain around his neck that he was strutting in on. That was like a, a big thing that everybody was posting. So, yeah, I mean, for you younger kids that know, you know, the trading card game has exploded in, in, in people just opening packs of cards. That was a big thing they were doing on their YouTube channel, just opening packs and packs of cards. And a lot of people have gotten into the baseball cards and cards in general. So that made a big stink at the fight. Um, and here, real quick, is a uh, little clip from Logan Paul. This was pretty cool. A lot of people think he's a douchey type of guy, and even he says it in this clip that uh, this was one of the coolest moments of his life. And it's actually sincere, um, so I do want to play this clip real quick for those of you that don't really feel get the true value of who Logan Paul is as a person. I don't want anyone to tell me anything is impossible ever again. The fact that I'm in here with one of the greatest boxers of all time proves that the odds can be beat. 
I'm the maverick. I go right when they go left. I'm the unorthodox one. I'm the independent one. And everyone has it in them. And everyone can beat the odds and do great things in life. And I want everyone to know that. That's the message I'm here to say. Floyd Mayweather, it was an honor. I hate being a dickhead. I love you guys. I love all you guys. This is one of the greatest moments of my life. Damn, I'm happy. Yeah, so there you can see it. He 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 is right though. He is unorthodox. He's the one that really started this trend of YouTubers fighting like legitimate boxers and celebrities. Um, he started when he when he fought that uh, British um, YouTube guy, uh, whatever his name is, and then his brother, who's a YouTuber, fought that guy's brother, and, and that just exploded. And he is pure entertainment, whether it's good or bad or controversial or whatever. This guy sells. He's a box office hit. And Floyd, you heard Floyd Mayweather kept saying, oh, I had fun. I had fun tonight. Yeah, because you made a gazillion dollars off this fight, and it never went against your record. You're untainted, you know, 50-0, and 0, whatever the record is, 49-0, and 50-0, whatever. Um, and that's what it was. So, yeah, this kid is a pure genius. He's like, what, 26 years old or not even, and he is an absolute millionaire. Both of the brothers are. So, I mean, just insane, insane. Um, so say what you want about Logan Paul, but he is living his best life, and it's 10 times better than any of the lives we're living. So knock them all you want, but the kid knows how to market himself and knows how to make a few bucks. All right, next up, um, I want to shed some light on on the golf game. Um and that's Yuka, uh, Yuka Sasso. She is the 19-year-old winner of the U.S. Open on Sunday. She is from the Philippines, and she, she – I, I got to be careful here. I don't want to say that she, that she didn't win it. I mean, she did win legitimately, but it was more so Lexi Thompson collapsing on the back nine – but uh, kudos to Sasso because 19 years old, I think this was just her third U.S. Open, I think I read, and it did take three playoff holes, but she eventually birdied number nine to beat Nasa Hatoika um, on the third hole of the playoff. Um, but yeah, uh, it, Lexi Thompson had the, had the lead, the one-shot lead going into the day, and then Sasso, like, I think she double bogeyed back-to-back -back holes, three and four, somewhere in the first couple of holes, back-to-back -back double bogeys. But Lexi Thompson just col absolutely collapsing on the back nine, opened, uh, you know, gave an opening for Sasso to come all the way back, and, and she got it done. So very impressive. I was reading all up on her, watching some interviews. 19 years old, from the Philippines, and she, like, idolizes Rory McIlroy and emulates his swing. She act, they showed a side-by-side -side of her swing on the drive with her driver, and she modeled it right after Rory, and they showed the slow motion, and it was unbelievable. I saw her also hitting a shot out of the rough. I mean, she has a shot like a man. I mean, and that is the utmost compliment that I can give um, because it was impressive as, as all hell. That ball was buried thick in that rough, and she put it within 10 feet of the pin. It was just brilliant. Um, so congratulations to her. She is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the coming years. Um, and yeah, watch out for that name, Yuka Sasso, at 19 years old. On the flip side, let's talk the men. Um, I had a very bad beat on Sunday. I had a 100% um, profit boost on this tournament, the Memorial, and I 
I, if you guys remember, I called, I said it on Friday, I liked Morikawa. Well, Morikawa was in the mix because guess what? John Rahm had a six-shot six lead at the end of the third round, and as he's coming off the course, he is told that he must remove, he is, well, no, he not must, he is done. He, the tournament's done for him because guess what? He tested positive for COVID, so he was immediately disqualified from the tournament, and he was devastated. You could hear in the clips, um, I don't have it, I'm not going to play it, but he's basically just hand, you know, face palming, and he's like, are you guys kidding me? Is this really happening again? Because yes, this did happen uh, once before with John Rahm. So after he gets removed from the tournament, Morikawa's right back in the mix. Patrick Cantley's in the mix. And I went and made a live bet. Um, I think it was, I threw 25 bucks to win like 75. And not bad bet, right? And that's when they were tied towards the back end, like at 15. And right as I bet that, I turn it on and Morikawa birdies and takes a one-shot lead over, um, it was over Morikawa, I mean, uh, Cantley, and then there was one guy that was one one uh, hole ahead of Cantley and Morikawa. I'm trying to remember who it was. Hold on. Let me think for a second. Um, who, the, who the hell was it? Well, either way, uh, so, so Morikawa, he birdies, he goes up one hole, and then I'm watching it, and friggin' Patrick Cantley, go figure, makes an absolutely ridiculous, ridiculously long putt and ties. Ties Morikawa going to like 17 or 18. And then actually, as he made that putt, um, Morikawa had to make his putt. It was like an eight-foot putt for par and on like 17. And I was real nervous. I'm like, oh, great. Here it goes. Here's where excuse me, I was like, here's where he loses it, right? And then, thankfully, he made the putt. I mean, ice in the veins type type of a situation. Nails the putt, so they're tied. They both par on, like, 18, and then they go to the playoff, and on the first playoff hole, Morikawa flush right down the middle, and Cantley goes wide right. And uh, what pissed me off is on 18, Cantley went even further right, and it hit a lady in the head and actually gave him a good bounce. So, you stupid lady, I'm a little upset at you that um, you let the ball hit you in the head. Um, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm joking, and she was, thankfully, she was okay, but it was just an unfortunate set of circumstances because, you know, I had money on this and I needed Morikawa to win, and Cantley gets um, the edge there with a good bounce, and then they parred that, so they go to... They, they replay 18 for the first playoff hole, and Cantley goes right again, and then Morikawa was down the middle but the announcers were saying he had mud on the front bottom of his ball and he didn't see it. And what they said, when you have mud on the ball, it's not going to go as far. And he was about a club length shy and he didn't make it to the green. And then uh, he chips on and Cantley's on and Cantley's putting first and son of a gun, this guy makes like a 12 foot putt um, and sinks it. And Morikawa was a little bit closer and he had to make the putt. And I knew it wasn't going to happen twice. And he he friggin' missed the putt. And, and Patrick Cantley won it. And I think that was Cantley's second win um, of the year. And I think it's the second time he's won at the Memorial. Um, but yeah, just interesting. It was a bad beat on my part, but it was uh, it was fun watching uh, those guys play play good golf and play off golf. All right, let's switch it over and talk a little basketball. 
my Clippers beat the Mavs in Game 7. Listen, guys, a couple weeks ago, I told you all that I liked the Clippers at plus 200 to win the series when they were down two games to none, and then slowly but surely those odds faded until the Clippers tied the series. Okay, well, guess what? Game 7, the Clippers got it done. I mean, first of all, I did not think the Clippers would win this game because Luka Doncic was on an absolute tear. He ends up finishing with 46 points, 14 assists, and 7 rebounds. And if he had any help from Kristaps Porzingis, they win this game. It, I watched this series, and Kristaps Porzingis is terrible. I don't know what happened to this guy, but he's not the same player he used to be on the Knicks where he was a superstar and taking games over by himself there. He just doesn't do anything on this team. It's really it's really weird. I don't know if he's hurt or was was just playing scared, but he was taking some weird contested shots, like stupid. But the uh, Clippers win this one 126 to 111. Uh, it took... It, they were down big in this game, actually, and they used a 24-4 run at the end of the third quarter to climb all the way back in this game. And it's it's interesting because I did I did say last week that I was picking Clippers, but then I saw the spread for Game 7 at 6.5, and, and I pounded the Mavs. And it's upsetting because they didn't cover, but what's worse is they were down double digits, like 14. They cut it to 7, and late in the shot clock, Reggie Jackson friggin nailed i mean just totally nothing but net nailed a three to push it back to 10 with like a minute and a half or so if he if they could have forced a miss there i'm confident that um they could have cut into that lead some more and, and maybe maybe i get the cover but i am happy overall that the clippers a team that i picked on this show to win the series got it done and um you know that was special but the talk about Dallas now, that is their sixth consecutive playoff series loss. I mean, let that sink in for a second. Six straight years they've lost in the first round. Um, crazy. Well, it doesn't say it doesn't say that. Six consecutive playoff series they've lost. So it's possible they got to the second or third round six years ago and then lost and then lost the, sub, the next five in the first round. Um, but yeah, Mark Cuban talked about this. He said... When you have something that's good, you don't change it just for the sake of change. So Rick Carlisle, not expected to go anywhere, and that's what happens. That's the leisure you're given when you win a world championship, and even though it was 2011, it still counts for something, and Rick Carlisle is still a very, very good coach. And for, as for Ty Lu, he is now 4-0 and in Game 7s in his coaching career. That is something special there. Okay, we're into round two in the NBA. Let's talk a little Nets and Bucks action. All the talk going into this series was how the Nets have lost, lost the season series in the regular season to the Bucks, and the length of the Bucks with Giannis and Lopez is going to give the Nets trouble. Well, 43 seconds into this game, the entire dynamic of the series was changed in 43 seconds. A routine drive where Harden tried to, you know, get fouled and throw it up. He comes up grabbing his hamstring, the same hamstring that he just, you know, came back from uh, that forced him to miss 20-something games. Not good at all. He immediately walked into the locker room, did not return, went to the hospital for further testing and MRIs and stuff. And at that point, I was like, oh, boy, this just got interesting, right? 
Well, guess what? The Nets were used to it. They've been without their big three, played in just nine regular season games all season, all year. They have been preparing for this for, you know, 72 games of the regular season. And they were ready. Kyrie and KD combined for 54 points. And Blake freaking Griffin turning back the clock, stepping up in a huge way. He went for 18, grabbing 14 rebounds. And he he made four three-pointers. He shot nine of them and made four. I mean, when you're getting your five to shoot four, to make four out of nine threes, it was just unprecedented. He'll never do it again, but it was exactly what the Nets needed. And the final score did not indicate how much of a beatdown this was. Like I said, 115 to 107. Um, the Nets the Nets covered the spread on this one. I think I took the Nets. I told everybody the Nets minus four was my pick, which that obviously hit. Um, with relative ease for the most part. They didn't, you know, they caught up when the backups were all in towards the end. But yeah, so that was a relief. Once Harden goes down, I'm like, oh no, my bet is going to lose. But nope, the Nets just absolutely steamrolled the Bucks. And I believe Giannis um, had a bad game in this one. I mean, the Bucks shooting woes continue. They have not shot well from the three-point line, um, which is quite surprising, actually. Um, I don't know why that is, but um, I think... Giannis had okay Giannis actually okay game one Giannis Giannis did pretty good he had 34 I was thinking of Chris Middleton who was 0 for 5 from 3 and just had 13 points on 6 of 23 shooting but the Bucks in this one they shot from 3 6 of 30 for just 20 percent the Nets eh, not great 15 of 40 for 37.5 percent but uh the first couple of games few games of this series it's been all about the three-point shooting for the Bucks really all their shooting from three-point range and from the foul line has been absolutely brutal. Okay, uh, big trade happened over the weekend, and that was Julio Jones finally getting traded. There was much talk about this um, for weeks now, and obviously you remember when Shannon Sharp called him on um, live on Undisputed with Skip and Shannon, and he didn't know he was on the radio, uh, on TV and all that stuff, and he said, I'm so out of there, but Julio Jones traded. I'm sure Matt Ryan's not too happy about that, but traded to the Tennessee Titans for a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth rounder. I'm a little bit surprised by this for the simple fact that I really think that the Falcons could have gotten more for him. Um, it, it, it wasn't great in my opinion, but uh, interestingly enough, that's the deal. He is going to wear number two instead of number 11 that he usually wears. Um, A.J. Brown said he offered it to him and he didn't want it, so he's going to switch over to number two. But here's an interesting story. Diana Rossini is the one that broke this story. Well, we come to find out on ESPN that she broke the story from a bachelorette party in Atlantic City. After we're having a conversation. And I overheard something that I, I, I am going to share. Diana, where were you when you broke this news over the weekend? Okay, so I'm really trying to step away from the stigma that I'm like the typical Italian New Jersey girl that just hangs out at the Jersey Shore. But I was in Atlantic City for a bachelorette party that I'm way too old to attend. But it was for my sister-in-law, so I had to go. And I reached out to a couple sources before I left for the trip and said, Look, this is a little unprofessional, but I just need you to be honest here. I have to go to this bachelorette party. I'm not going to be present on my phone. Is this Julio thing going down? Everyone said the same thing. 
go have fun. It ain't going down this weekend. Well, I'm at the roulette table on Saturday night around 11 p.m. And I hit on black 11. And I look at my sister-in-law, Karen, and I go, that's Julio. Something's up. I'm a witch. And I knew something was up, but I reached out to a couple of sources <laughs> and they said, get ready. This thing is going down in the morning. And I, when I wound up talking to Schefter, he had no idea. I didn't want to tell Schefter I was in Atlantic City uh, when this was all happening because I wanted to seem like a pro, Teddy, you know? And meanwhile, Schefter is you know, at home, <laughs> at his office, working hard with me. And we, we were able to uh, share information and we pulled the trigger. So this is the first time in my life I've ever uh, been in a casino uh, breaking, you know, a, a pretty big story. What do you think, How Teddy? much was the bet on Black 11? It was five bucks. And the best part is, my sister-in-law, Karen, says, come on, let's go. I go, no, no, we're going because I have to call people. We're not going. You got to play You got to play big to win big. We got to put more money down. But it was probably smart I walked away because I got some cash in my pocket, Teddy. There you go. So That's at a bachelorette awesome. party in Atlantic City, Diana Rossini breaks the big story of the football month. Well done. We got a lot more to do. Yeah, how funny is that? Just... She's at, you know, her sister-in-law's bachelorette party in AC breaking the story that Julio Jones was, in fact, traded to the Tennessee Titans. And she tried to, you know, be professional for Adam Schefter, who's obviously the god amongst story breaking uh, in the sport of football. All right. Now to some interesting stuff. Um College baseball is going on right now. The regionals, uh, super regionals, uh, we're getting to that point now and, and whatnot as we approach the College World Series. I spoke about the softball last weekend. This is one of the greatest interviews that you will ever hear in your life. Just bear with me. It's a little bit long, but this is Steven Scotch. He is a relief pitcher for the University of Virginia Cavaliers, and this interview is all types of of pure entertainment. So just take a listen. This is pure enjoyment. Walk into a stadium, 8,000 people. But as long as you got your 26 guys ready to kick, <laughs> or kick um, <laughs> you're going to be all right. Sorry, I sweared. I shouldn't have No, sweared. you're good, man. Let's go back to that last inning, ninth inning. What are the emotions like entering that inning? Well, emotions are go in, win. I heard a fan offer free dipping dots if I blew it, which the price of dipping dots with inflation is just unreal. So for a brief moment, I was like, damn, dipping dots sound good. But also I thought in the back of my head, we win today, we win tomorrow or tonight. We're going to be here another day. That's more per diem. So that means I can buy my own dipping dots and be a winner. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to attack. I think three words every time I'm out there. The first one's a swear word, starts. Um, second word's attack. Third one's win. And I just repeat that. To my, unless, you know, there's a breach in the system and I walk a guy and I got to tell myself I'm a few different things that isn't a winner. Um, I might break that, but then I get right back on it. Just this attack win, you know. And, Steve, it's really easy pitching when you got defense like ours. As long as you keep it in the yard, you got a chance. Does anything make you nervous? Caves. <laughs> Mainly. Um, nothing really. I mean, I don't see any caves out here in the south. It's not the desert. That's where. But, you know, this is just a game. There's going to be way harder things in life than striking out the side or not walking somebody. So 
I don't really get too caught up in all the jibber jabber and all the mean things people might say. You know, I think I'm a cool guy. My dogs think I'm awesome. My teammates <laughs> like me. And my friends like me. So I'm going to attack. I'm going to win. <laughs> Simple. Here's one last one for you. Yeah, no problem. You've heard this before. Yeah. When people say Kenny Powers, what do you think? I think, damn, I'm doing a good job. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the dude, the dude took 86 to the big leagues. You get me? He took that and turned it into a winner. So people are like, oh, Kenny Powers. And like, I mean, I might throw a little differently, a little, a little firmer than he did after, you know, started boozing and doing drugs. But, I mean... That probably won't be a big part of my life, as it was his. But, hey, it's Kenny P. He's a winner. End of the day. <laughs> so are you, Steven. Go get some Thank Dippin' you. Dots, and please enjoy this one with your teammates. They Absolutely. Like you. Great talking to you. <laughs> See you later. You're awesome. I mean, is that not just hysterical? So apparently the kid loves Dippin' Dots, and um, what he was saying is that a fan said if they lose, he'll buy, you know, he'll buy them dipping dots or whatever. And but then he's like, wait a second, if we win, um, that means we play again. And then if we win later, we come back tomorrow and he gets his like allowance money or meal money or whatever. So then he could just buy the dipping dots himself. But just hysterical. He does look like Kenny Powers. And if you know anything or know who Kenny Powers is, that's um, Kenny Powers is from. Um, the show on HBO, um, Eastbound and Down, and that was just, I watched a couple seasons of that with Danny McBride, um, I think the first couple of seasons or something, he's like, starts off in Myrtle Beach, or he gets to Myrtle Beach eventually, and then he's pitching in like Mexico, and it's just hysterical, and he, yeah, he's a boozer, he, he does drugs, like all sorts of craziness, but it is pretty funny, um. So that's the reference. It's Danny McBride and Eastbound and Down, and that was the character Kenny Powers. So think Kenny Powers, and then you'll 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 uh, get a picture of um, Stephen. So so that was pretty funny. Um, all right, let's talk uh, Bruins Islanders. This was a very good series. I thought the Islanders were gonna lose it. Um, I figured it would go seven games. But the series really turned after game five when um, Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy slammed officials um, saying the Islanders sell a narrative. Take a listen. He did not hold back. Well, Jimmy, I think what happens, okay, so this is my take on we're playing a team that has, uh, you know, very respected management coaching staff. They won a Stanley Cup. So, but I think they sell a narrative over there that, um, it's more like the New York Saints, you know, not the New York Islanders. You know, they play hard and they play the right way. But I, I feel we're the same way. And the calls, the exact calls that are getting called on us um, do not get called on them. So, it, and, and I don't know why. These are very good officials. They're, they're, they're at this point in the season for a reason. You've got continuous high sticks every game, the exact same high sticks. Uh, you know, Bergie with Nelson behind the net, the one that comes up on Smith. Marshy got called for that in game one. Uh, I could go on and on Wagner the other day in front of the net, you know, maybe we need to sell them more flop, but that's not us. Um, you just hope they'd see them. I mean, the same calls go against us. So it's not like I'm sitting there going, well, every call against us sucks. It's not true. It's just, 
the end of the day, the similar plays, they need to be penalized on those plays. But like I said, I think they've sold in a great job selling that narrative that, you know, they're clean. Uh, they play hard, a hard brand of hockey, love the way they play, but they commit as many fractions as we do. Trust me. So it's just a matter of, 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 of calling them. So, you know, that's the part that I guess gets frustrating, uh, but you play through it. You know, it's like the Bergeron today. He's throwing out the, what, the first two, three, four face-offs he takes because someone mentioned, you know, have a little respect for Patrice Bergeron. He's up for the Selkie. He's, he's been a, a, a warrior in this league, a face of the franchise, uh, does everything right for hockey, sells the game, and that's the way you treat him. I mean, come on, you know, because someone speaks out and says something, like, he, you know, all of a sudden. So they just need to be better than that. Just, you know, just call the game what you see. Quit listening to these outside influences and 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 get it done right because I I don't think they were great tonight I'm not going to lie to you, but they have been and they're good officials I know those two guys they're good guys good officials and I don't know tonight I just thought they were off but he could say the same about us but at the end of the day that's what I thought Jimmy and um and and let's just play hockey and, and call the the infractions that happen and yeah, so he doesn't really hold back with his comments there, and naturally uh, he gets fined the $25,000 for those comments, and he woke up a, a sleeping giant essentially because game six at the Coliseum, and uh, I mean, to call them New York Saints, that's an old-time lacrosse team from New York, so you knew you were going to see like New York Saints shirts and jerseys and stuff, and the Islanders came out, and they took it to Boston and they win game six, and they win the series, and they move on to the Stanley Cup semis where they will play the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that should be a really good series. They do have a chance, man. The Islanders have a real chance to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it, it should be uh, really fun and really interesting. I'm not a big hockey guy, but I found myself watching this series uh, more, more than ever um, So and paying attention to, to the scoreboard when it was on. All right, the Nets were back at it on Monday. Again, somehow um, they didn't need Harden. He He's probably not going to play in this series. That's what I gathered as soon as he got hurt, so I knew what to expect. They probably knew it too. But they dominated from start to finish against Giannis and company. They drubbed the Bucks into absolute roadkill in a 125-86 to beat down, okay? Just an absolute beatdown. The 39-point win is the largest margin of victory in Nets playoff history, and it was actually the second-largest margin of defeat in Bucks playoff history. That's how much of a of a spanking it was. And like I said, did it without James Harden for the second straight game. Giannis held to just 18 points in this one, and the Bucks were just eight for 27 from three. That's 29.6 just it, it just bad 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 so i i was shocked i actually thought the bucks would come out and win this game so i didn't touch it i didn't bet it but oh my god i could not believe that the nets torched them like this absolutely torching them all right next up want to talk um about a rookie i believe he's undrafted out of the uh, out of navy cameron kinley okay he he's on the tampa bay bucks Okay, this is a weird story. His so when you play it at one of these um one of these military academies, you have to, you know, go into service after you graduate essentially. Well, 
he requested that his uh that that be delayed, that he not have to go in and serve in the Navy until after his NFL playing days or, or, or however that, you know, whatever he was requesting, he wanted to be able to play in the NFL first and then circle back around to, to, to serve the Navy. Well, his request to delay his U S Navy commission was denied. And to me, that's like, Whoa, like that seems a little harsh. Now I don't know the legality of this or if this is, common practice if they typically um, deny these requests or if this is something that's worked out where they do let them go play first but so this is a little a little rough but he was team captain and class president at Navy so obviously a standout uh, player a standout just person in general and a great student um, he, he is being required to commission as an ensign with no chance to appeal, which as an undrafted player like that, yeah, that's unfortunate. His chances of playing in the NFL now just went from uh, decent to horrific because now he's got to go into the military and take years off or however long off from football. And then if he comes back, you know, he, he's going to be past his prime as a player that's not great. Um, so, yeah, that's just really an unfortunate set of circumstances to say the least but i did want to shed light on that because i thought it was i was intrigued by that story all right a little college softball james madison and odyssey alexander they stole the show last weekend um, at the women's college world series after earning upset wins as an unranked team um you know at not in a major power conference okay and they, they beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in their first two games. That is number one Oklahoma. Uh, however, their miraculous run came to an end when Oklahoma sent them home in a decisive um, second game. So uh, Oklahoma loses to James Madison in the first game. They go into loser's bracket, can't lose another game. So they won a win a couple. And then James Madison won against Oklahoma State, so they had to circle back around and play each other again. Oklahoma wins the first one. They have to play a second game, and unfortunately, um, that's now the third time that Odyssey Alexander is facing Oklahoma, which, from my experience, we had that same situation play out where our stud pitcher um, had to face this team that ended up winning our playoff, our region playoffs, it was the fourth time she was facing them, and she dominated them the previous three times. And I knew going up against them a fourth time, it was just there was no chance. There's no chance that you can dominate them that many times in a row. It's just not. And same thing with her. By the third time, they had her figured out. They actually, JMU has a freshman conference player of the year or pitcher of the year um, freshman pitcher of the year in the conference. And I thought maybe they should have started her in game three and kind of done it like a bullpen game and where you just go back and forth between the two of them. But, you know, they threw Odyssey out there and she wasn't able to get through the game and, and they, they lose. But as she's uh, being taken out and, you know, walking off the field, a crowd of mostly Oklahoma fans, because this is in Oklahoma State or City, they all gave her a standing ovation. It was a pretty cool moment as she knew that was, you know, her last time playing in college as, you know, a super senior. But she started all four games for, for JMU in the World Series. She struck out 66 batters on 1,057 pitches in 62, uh, 64 and two-thirds innings. So, uh, yeah, hats. I tipped my cap to her, as did everybody else. So 
amazing uh, amazing run for JMU and just just uh, a great feat. Okay, let's talk uh, back to basketball. A second round series between the Suns and Denver Nuggets. Um, I'm interested to see how this series plays out. But uh, so far, it's been all Suns. They win game one, 122 to 105. Listen, I'm not going to mix, you know, my words, but the Suns are one of those teams, you know, we know Charles Barkley played with them. They're just one of those teams that can never win. They had Steve Nash. They had Amari Stoudemire back in the two, that early 2000s uh, when Nash won two MVPs and Mike D'Antoni as their coach. And they, oh, they're always right there, but they can't get to that championship and can't win a title. And uh, But now, right now, they look pretty good. And my brother, actually, the son of a gun, he bet the Suns to, uh, I want to say, either win the conference or win the championship or both. Um, but it's looking really good right now. They, I mean, Chris Paul has made such a difference. And to think the Rockets traded him to Oklahoma City to purgatory, thinking his career was over, forcing a trade out of there, saying, I, you know what, I've still got it. While Darren Williams, there was question that Darren Williams, there was debate that Darren Williams was a better point guard than me, than CP3 for many years. Darren Williams, who hasn't played in the league in at least five years, CP3 is still going strong and still dominating and helping the Suns look like the best team in the West right now. So, yeah, just very impressive. Okay, on Tuesday, speaking of the Nuggets, the NBA announced that Nuggets big man Nikola Jokic has been named the 2020-2021 NBA MVP. At just 26 years old, Jokic becomes the first player in team history to win MVP after leading the Nuggets to a 47-25 and 25 overall record this season, which we all know was good enough for third place. This after their second superstar, Jamal Murray, went down with a torn ACL, and they were still able to hold on and get the three seed and actually played better record-wise without Jamal Murray. Um, Jokic, uh, the Joker as they call him, is also the first player to play in every regular season game for his team since Kobe Bryant did it with the Lakers in the 2007-8 season. I have to preface this, though. However, this season only saw 72 games because of the pandemic and the shortened off season, whereas a normal uh, year would be 82 regular season games in the NBA. Now, I don't know. I know they've added, like, the play-in games now and stuff, so I don't know if... The 82 games is coming back, or this is what we're going forward with, is the 72. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I just wanted to mention it. Uh, he's the, uh, in his sixth year is uh, Jokic out of Serbia. This year, he averaged a ridiculous 26.4 points, 10.8 rebounds, and 8.3 assists per game. Yes, you heard that correctly. Over eight assists per game as a big man. He is the first center to win the MVP award since Shaquille O'Neal did it in the year 2000. He also becomes the third player ever joining Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook as the only players to average at least 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists for a, an entire season in NBA history. And just to add injury to insult to every team that did not draft him and passed on him, he is the lowest drafted player to ever win the MVP award. He was drafted number 41 overall in the second round 
in 2014, and he was drafted during a Taco Bell Quesarito commercial, no less. So the Quesarito commercial was on the screen, and the ticker flashed across the, uh, the TV to tell you who the Nuggets had drafted. So nobody saw this coming, absolutely nobody. Um, he beat out uh, Joel Embiid and Steph Curry with 971 total points, including 91 first-place votes. Embiid finished with 586 points, good for second, and Steph took home third with 453. Personally, I thought it should have went to Steph, but the more I read into these numbers, I guess he is deserving um, of the award. Any of those guys really were deserving of the award, but just incredible stuff. Okay, um, want to talk a little bit of baseball, and the big thing making the rounds this week was uh, so if you live under a rock, you don't know what I'm talking about. For everybody else that's listening, bear with me. Uh, the whole situation with sticky stuff in Major League Baseball with the pitchers using sunscreen and rosin or spider tack or these substances to get a better grip on the baseball. And there's been uh, much debate over whether this is cheating, whether it's helping them with their spin rates, whether it's um, as the summer months get here, um, you know, we're in June now, as it gets hotter, the, the ball slipping out of players' grips and, and all that good stuff. And, um, well, one player happened to call out Garrett Cole, and that player was Josh Donaldson. And it really started with – this whole thing started with Trevor Bauer. So for those of you that are unaware, Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole were teammates at UCLA, and they did not like each other. Word on the street is they did not get along whatsoever. Okay, um, I, which I can I can very much see that uh, Trevor Bauer seems like he could be a tough guy to get along with, and he's out there and does his own thing and whatnot. So he f- was the first one to call him out. So let's just look at it that look at that uh, look where the source is, is coming from. Somebody that has a gripe to pick with that person. Well, Donaldson um, went in on Garrett Cole as well, and uh, he had this to say. Is it coincidence that Garrett Cole's spin rate numbers went down yesterday after four minor leagues get suspended for 10 games? Is it, you know, is that possible? I don't know. Maybe. So basically he's just throwing something against the wall and hoping it sticks. But it was one of those things like without any proof, how could you say something like that? It's just, a, it, it, it looks bad. And they had a series coming up with the Yankees. So everybody got to talking. Is there going to be payback? Are they going to? Th- is Garrett Cole going to throw at Donaldson? All this good stuff. Well, I, I watched a lot of that ten-minute interview with Donaldson, and he goes on to make some good points. Okay, and I've listened to a lot of interviews and, and heard a lot of points on, on on this situation. And most people are saying that this sticky stuff. And first of all, I mean, can't we just come up with a better name than sticky stuff? I, I mean, spider tack is an actual, that's the name of a product that's used by dead, like heavyweight, like lifters and stuff or whatever. Um, but uh, that's another substance they're using. But we're, to call it sticky stuff, it just doesn't have a good ring to it. Got to come up with something better. But anyway, um, the pitchers are doing this for command. That's what basically the pitchers are saying, that they're using the sunscreen and the rosin so they can get a better grip on the ball so they don't, you know, lose command of the baseball okay sure it really that that's that's possible but then why not just use the rosin bag because that's what's been there for for 
you know, years and years and years is the rosin bag behind the pitcher's mound, right? Okay. Well, the problem that we have here is that that's how maybe the pitchers view it, but baseball has become a sport in recent years that is riddled with cheaters. You have the PEDs. You have the Astro sign-stealing uh, scandal. So now, naturally, this comes about because players are now ratting on players. This is how this whole thing started with this Astros was Mike Fires. Now you have Trevor Bauer calling out Garrett Cole, and you have Donaldson calling out Cole and saying the spin rate dipped on his last start against Tampa. That's why he gave up so many runs and, and all this other stuff, and that how the, the sunscreen or the spider tack or the – whatever sticky substance they're using, the sticky stuff, is helping them with the RPMs, thus spin rate. And to his point, okay, to to Josh Donaldson's point, which I will agree with him, is that um, there has been an uptick in, a, and not a small one, a huge uptick in... Um, spin rate across the board and you know michael k made the point the other day as well that they're using this stuff for the grip on the baseball and and, and whatnot right but the problem with that and the problem with that theory if pitchers are going to use that as a defense is that number one if you dissect the numbers Batters are actually being hit by pitches at a rate that hasn't been exceeded since 1898, okay? Not to mention a 28% spike in hit batters per game since 2017. I mean, this year alone, we've seen Bryce Harper get hit in the face, and we've seen Kevin Pillar break his nose by getting hit by a pitch that he took to the face, we're talking 95-plus miles an hour, 100-plus miles an hour, because we know in today's day and age, these guys throw harder than ever, okay? So that's the only problem I have with that point. And then Josh Donaldson went on to say that in 2019, there were approximately 700 sliders thrown at 90 miles an hour or more. The league is currently on pace for over 4,000 this year. So Donaldson's point is that if you can grip the ball better, you can throw it harder, thus more spin rate, thus the slider becomes more of a dominant pitch the harder it is thrown. And that's why, to his point, hitters are not hitting the baseball anymore. And that could be one part of this thing. Now, Pete Alonzo, the other day I retweeted this. Pete Alonzo, it's like a two-minute response. He was asked about this. Pete Alonzo, first baseman and hitter. His perspective on this thing was that, you know what? No, actually, I'm okay with the pitchers using this stuff because they're using it for their grip because I have a teammate in Kevin Pillar that got absolutely destroyed in the face and broke his nose because the pitcher didn't have the right grip. So his whole thing was, was not the fact that they're using this stuff. His theory was that why are the baseballs changing on a yearly basis, which ding, 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 another great, great point. There's been a lot of talk this season that the balls they used last year were not the same balls they're using this season. Thus, again, why we're not seeing the pop on the baseball, especially from a team like the New York Yankees that relies on the home run ball. 
So there's a lot of different factors in this thing, and supposedly they're going to curb down on this in a couple of um, a couple in like two weeks or something. The umpires are going to have the ability to up to at least ten, up to ten times they're going to be able to check the um, the pitchers for you know substances, the pine tar on the neck, like Michael Pineda did with the Yankees, stuff on the hat because they claim Garrett Cole touches his hat a lot, stuff inside the belt because there was talk that oh Degrom was touching the inside of his belt a lot the other day, just. All sorts of stuff. This brings into question now the fact that any pitcher that doesn't have a good night is going to is going to get scrutinized. Well, oh, are you were using using the sticky stuff? Uh, are are you cheating? And it didn't help that Garrett Cole was asked blatantly about has he you know having ever used this stuff, and he stuttered and didn't really know how to answer the question. Um, so it it wasn't a good look, but um, you know. You know, Major League Baseball is at is at a crossroads right now. I don't think Manfred has done a good job at all. They're losing the sport to the young fan, and it, it, it's not a good look. It, it's just not. I will circle back around to that in a second, but let's talk a little Women's College World Series. Of course, I talked about Oklahoma reaching the finals, beating JMU. Uh, well, in the other series, you had Florida State versus Alabama, and this, so JMU was undefeated and Bama, they were the two 2-0 two teams in the World Series. So Bama had to beat FSU once and FSU had to beat Bama twice. Well, this was, the, I think, the first time that both series went to a deciding, like, second game. Um, and Alabama did something so asinine that I still, as of right now, cannot get over. And I said that I said this to my dad, and I'm not even joking. If I was the athletic director at Alabama, head coach Patrick Murphy would have been fired after this series was over and they lost. Because why do I say that? You got to a Final Four at the Women's College World Series, right? Okay, great. This man has been at, at Alabama for almost, what, 20 years, 15 years, whatever it is, whatever the case may be, maybe even more. He's won one, he has won one single lousy national championship or World's College World Series. And this is exactly why. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I saw one of his batters, a lefty batter, bunt the ball in one of the games with her secondary hand that's at the top of the bat with her full fingers around the bat. I kid you not, that is how you break your hand should that ball have hit her in the hand. That's number one. That is a no-no. You're taught that when you're five years old, how to bunt. Okay, whatever. Um, number two, back to this whole thing. Montana Fouts. If you don't know that name, she's the most dominant pitcher in college softball today. Okay, and I'm not even, she had, a, I, I gave you her numbers last week, just absolutely dominating. Well, Patrick Murphy, head coach for Alabama, decided I'm not going to pitch Montana Fouts in game one. Game one is the only game there is if you win it. This man is looking ahead to the to the finals already. Why he's looking ahead when you didn't get past this first game is ridiculous. I see it all the time, and I say the same thing every time. Okay? Your legacy is about winning championships. The, the Georgia coach um, just... Uh, retired. Her and the Arizona coach retired. The Arizona coach 
is a guy that has won. He he had a dynasty in the early two, late '90s, early 2000s. Just a just won a a bunch of national championships. Georgia coach, one of the winningest coaches in college softball, never won a national championship. Now that she's retired, nobody knows who she is. Nobody knows because she never won a national title, a national championship. So you're defined on winning, okay? And if you can't win, you'll forever be known as the guy that can't win. Granted, he did win one, but there's no reason he shouldn't have won again this year with that pitcher, with Montana Fouts. And he didn't. He decided, I'm not pitching her game one. He he played himself, basically. They lose game one, and now Florida State's like, okay, baby, it's all even. It's win or go home now. We can do this. We smell blood in the water. They throw Montana Fouts out there for game two, and he basically iced his own pitcher by resting her for a game that he shouldn't have, and she didn't have her stuff. Florida State was all over it, and the rest is history. Florida State wins, and it was like their seventh straight uh, elimination game victory at the World Series and they knock Bama off, and shame on Patrick Murphy because he had a chance to get to that finals. All he had to do was pitch Montana Fouts, and he blew it. And I'm not even joking. I First of all, if I was athletic director, there's no chance in hell that I wouldn't have been calling him up and demanding that she pitch, pitch that game. I don't, I'm overruling him. That's number one. He is not throwing anybody else but her. So number two, if he went against that, then he's definitely fired. And number three, you know, I'd fire him anyway if he did that in general because, you know, that was a golden opportunity absolutely wasted. All right, and then this obviously set up the showdown between FSU, the 2018 College World Series champs, and the number one team in the country, the most dominant team offensively in Oklahoma. Um, And game one was a little surprising. Florida State. Got it going early. Freshman right fielder Kaylee Harding, she had herself a game. Uh, she's going to be an absolute stud. She was third-team All-ACC, and I'm watching the game. And I'm like, how is she only third-team All-ACC? But it's because she's a freshman. Um, she hit a two-run homer. She later doubled in two more, and I think she had a third hit where a player was thrown out at home, so she could have had really like five RBIs. FSU came away with the game one victory. They beat them down pretty good. Uh Oklahoma tried to come back late. I think the final was like 8-5 or something like that. Um, She also caught a ball in right field and doubled up a runner trying to tag up from second to third. It was a really good play. So she was the MVP in that one, and Florida State got it done. So Oklahoma had their backs up against the wall, and they would have have to come back and win game two. We'll, We'll get to that in a second. But first, LeBron James, after the season he just had, he needs a little bit of a change, and that change comes in the form of his jersey number. So after Space Jam, I think July 15th, it'll be airing in theaters and on HBO Max or July 16th, LeBron James is changing back to the number six. So if you remember, he started his career with number 23 in Cleveland. When he left for Miami, he went to number six, and then when he went back to Cleveland, he, he went back to number 23, and when he came to the Lakers, he stayed stuck with 23 as well, and now he's going back to six. I Probably because he realized he'll never be Michael Jordan. He is not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was 6-0. and Michael Jordan would never lose in the first round of the playoffs, which LeBron just did for the first time, and Michael Jordan would have overcome not having a Scottie Pippen and still would have won. So that's really why he's probably uh, making the change there. 
Okay, so back to Garrett Cole after he gets called out and the antics and facing Josh Donaldson. There was a big controversy. Michael Kay made it known that if he was playing, if he was coaching, Garrett Cole would have definitely plunked uh, Josh Donaldson in the first inning for calling him out. And instead, Garrett Cole did not do that. He just happened to force uh, Josh Donaldson Donaldson to go over four with a couple of strikeouts, and he dominated with nine strikeouts overall. And the Yankees won the game like uh, nine to six on Wednesday. And then afterwards, Cole mentioned that he hesitated when asked about the specificity of his use with sticky stuff because he doesn't think this is the forum to discuss those kinds of things. He went on to say, "There's an oppor- uh, excuse me, there's an appropriate time for players to discuss those things." and I'll keep it to that forum, which, again, he's kind of burying himself even further, but it is what it is. Okay, back to the Women's College World Series. Oklahoma rallies in Game 2. They beat FSU. They forced a decisive Game 3 for the title. Um, They found themselves down. This was a really close, tight game. Um, Florida State was up early 2-0, but they found themselves down 2-1 in the sixth inning. The most potent offense in all of college softball, this was their inning to break out. They they score four runs in the sixth inning alone. In the process, they set a new college softball mark for home runs in a season and added even more insurance in the seventh. They beat number 10 FSU in this game, in game number two, by a final of six to two to force a, like I said, the game three. Jocelyn Allo, she, uh, the nation's top home run hitter, she put them up three to two with an opposite field two run shot in that six to get it started. That being her uh, the 159th home run for the Sooners on the year, breaking the single season mark set by Hawaii way back in 2010. And funny enough, uh, Allo herself is from Hawaii, so something about Hawaii and and women's softball that's kind of cool. Uh, the Suns, they took a commanding 2-0 series lead over the Nuggets. Like I said, CP3 is the difference maker. He finished with 17 points and 15 assists without a single turnover. Oh, my God. That is the third time in his career he has done that. He also joined LeBron and John Stockton as the only players in NBA postseason history with at least 15 points. 15 assists, and 5 rebounds in a game at age 35 or older. Okay, let's talk a little bit of hockey. Um, On the west side of things, the Golden Knights have won 4 straight to oust the Colorado Avalanche in 6, and they will face the Montreal Canadiens in the other Stanley Cup semis. The Knights eliminated Colorado last night by a final of six to three and six different players scored for Vegas. Vegas is like the people's champ, you know, ever since they, um, they created that franchise a few years ago, they went to the finals in their first year. They had a down second year. Um, and then now they're just, they're, they're back and they have a really good chance as well. I'd love to see Islanders versus Knights in the final. That would be awesome, but you cannot discount Montreal. What they just did to Winnipeg, Montreal Canadians, if you don't know, if you don't follow hockey, they just swept the Winnipeg Jets. And not only did they sweep them, they held the lead for the entirety of the four game series. They never once were down one nothing or three to two or two to no they held the lead for four straight games I think that was a record just incredible 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 feat so these semis should be really really good 
Okay, um, the Jazz and Clippers, I didn't really touch on this series uh, really uh, much, but you had to figure that the Jazz were going to have the upper hand just because the Clippers just played a grueling uh, seven-game series and the Jazz finished off the Memphis Grizzlies in five games. Well, going into game one, uh, Mike Conley was out due to a hamstring injury, but it didn't matter. The uh, Jazz, who were, I think, three-point favorites, they won actually... They won by three, 112 to 109. Uh, that was a, a photo finish down the wire. Rudy Gobert with a defensive play uh, of the day, uh, blocking Marcus Morris's uh, potential game-tying three-point attempt at the buzzer. Uh, but then again, last night they played, and that was on Tuesday, and then they played last night, and the Jazz won this one, 117 to 111, behind Donovan Mitchell's 37 points. I think he's got three or four straight 30-point games in the playoffs, and unfortunately, he went down with 12 seconds left, grabbing at his ankle, so everybody in the stands held their collective breath because he missed about a month uh, with an ankle injury from April to May, but luckily he was able to walk off, and afterwards he spoke to the media about it, and he said, you know, he got hit on that last play, but he's good to go, and he could sprint right now if he needed to, so there really doesn't look like there's much worry there, and they have a couple days in between this series, you know, uh, going back to L.A., um, where they, you know, we'll see if they could take a 3-0 series lead, but Donovan Mitchell is turning into an absolute superstar at the age of 24. Um, I just told you he's got a bunch of games in a row now with 30 points. And if you remember, he missed game one in their first round uh, matchup with the Grizzlies, and that's the only game they have lost since. They are 6-0 and in the playoffs with Donovan Mitchell. So, man, if they end up facing off against the Suns in the finals in the Western Conference, that is going to be one hell of a series. So I can't wait. Okay, let's talk about this final game in the Women's College World Series, the third and deciding national championship game. And I need to start off by mentioning how upset I am at the fact, and not even upset, but just annoyed. They played a national title game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. I mean, I'm lucky that I have a job where I get home about 3.30, so I was able to turn this on. But not only that, I didn't even know the game was on. It was a notification on my phone from ESPN saying that Jocelyn Allo has given Oklahoma an early lead in, in this final game and tune in to watch it now. I had to yell down to my dad to let him know it was on because he didn't know either. Turn it on in the third inning, and I was able to watch it. But shame on, shame on, shame on the NCAA for airing this game at 3 p.m. when most people aren't even around or home from work yet to watch it. They did a total disservice to the sport. And if this was the men, they would never have done this. And I know I know they don't do it because I watch it. The Women's College World Series is truncated into like four days. It's jam-packed into like four days of just uh, of chaos, right? Well, how come on the flip side you have the, the the men and the college world series that's stretched out over about two weeks, a, a two week period. So I mean, come on now. That 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 doesn't seem very equal, if you ask me. So I think they need to do a better job to bring this sport to the masses so more people are willing to watch it. Because I I can guarantee you 
the viewership numbers were way down compared to games one and two, which were at about 7.30 at night uh, when everybody's around and can watch it under the lights. So, yeah, just a very, very bad look. But in the end, Oklahoma ended up winning 5-1 to one behind G. Suarez. That is her name, G. Uh, she pitched the best she's ever pitched in her entire life. I mean, I don't know her. I don't know anything she's done, but no way she's ever pitched better than this in her entire life. I mean, she just won a college world series. She allowed two hits in the game, struck out seven. She also posted, these are, I mean, these are Jacob DeGrom numbers. And speaking of DeGrom, he's pitching right now. Um, I just want to check in on his numbers real quick because he's had an unbelievable year. Um, it's 0-0 top three. That's just a stud matchup between him and Blake Snell. Let's see. DeGrom, two and two-thirds, four strikeouts. His ERA is right now .59. Unreal. But anyway, G. Suarez posting a .90 ERA. She went 5-0 and and dished out 38 Ks in the tournament. I mean, just ungodly numbers right there. Uh, and she is a lefty, so that helps matters as well. Um, it was impressive as impressive a run as it gets for Oklahoma because after losing their first game, going into the elimination bracket, now having their backs up against the wall, they won out. And that's what it takes sometimes to, to win a World Series. And they got it done. It was the fifth national championship ever for Oklahoma and their third since 2016. So quietly, Oklahoma building themselves a little bit of a dynasty. And then uh, finally, uh, there's a report out from Field Yates that the college football playoff committee is meeting next week and will consider expanding to a 12-team playoff featuring the six highest-ranked conference champions and the other six highest-ranked teams. Quickly, my two cents on this. It's a good start. Um, I would love to, to play this thing out like March Madness does it. Get 64 teams uh, screw all the other bowls, get all these teams together and play it bracket style like the March Madness tournament and go to town. It will make billions and billions of dollars. But, you know, in due time, uh, this is a very good start from where we're currently at. So I would be totally for this for sure because uh, there's some teams, you know, your Central Floridas and whatnot that win out and go undefeated and don't have a chance to play um, in the CFP. So this gives teams like that um that are not part of a major power six or power five conference to, to play in the playoffs. So this is a good start. Don't get me wrong. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to see what comes out of this next week. All right. That's pretty much going to wrap it up. Of course, like I said, there are games on all weekend. Uh, you've got the Philly and the Sixers and Hawks game on that game just started at six to four Phoenix, Denver coming on later. There's games tomorrow. You've got the jazz and Clippers. That's the only game on tomorrow. Then Sunday is Nets bucks and sun's nuggets and you know, baseball throughout the weekend. The Euro cup is now uh, underway. I guess that's a big friggin' tournament between all the best teams in Europe. Um, and they'll fight it out throughout the summer. So that should be fun. Um, you know, there's, there's sports to be found. If you turn on the television, you'll find something. Golf is on this weekend again. I, I mean, it just on and on and on. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually playing golf tomorrow afternoon. I've been playing some basketball with my friends. So, uh, yeah, it's been good to get out now that the summer's kicking in. Nice, good weather. Um, 
So yeah, I'm excited for it. And I will let you guys go with uh, one final uh, thought. And that's always, obviously, we end the show on this date in sports. And we take it back to June 11th, 1997. That would be the flu game, the one and only, uh, fighting food poisoning from what we believe was that tainted pizza that was purposely um, given to Michael Jordan. He scores 38 points to lead the Bulls to a 90-88 to Game 5 win over the Jazz in the NBA Finals. Take a listen. The Bulls' Park City dwelling in Utah does not have room service, but at 5-10 Utah time, Michael got to the arena. A touch of the flu after sleeping all day. No doubt, though, the four-time Finals MVP would start. As for his teammates, well, how about a wake-up call? Steve Kerr, it's Tony Kukoc in the back with the pass. One of eight ball turnovers. Howard Isley swiping it to Chris Morris. Give him the hoop, the harm, give him 11 points. Jazz up 14. Phil Jackson needs a hug. Scotty tried to pick up the slack. An ill facial on the mailman. Must be jelly, because jam don't shake like that. Scotty, 17 points, 10 boards, but with MJ on the bench, pulls down 13 after one in the second. Michael blowing up. Ron Harper the steal to Jordan, he tells Hornacek, peace. Mike had 17 in the second quarter. Then vintage Jordan, the misdemeanor steal, one of three steals he had. Sick dribbling behind his back to Pippen. Pippen, no, Michael, oh yeah. Michael in the third quarter, an ice pack, only five total points in the three third quarters in Utah. But in the fourth, Jazz up three, Jordan, Trey, Money. He came in shooting only 17% from three land in the playoffs. Game tied at 77. After the whistle, Jordan on the bench looking absolutely ill, and I'm not talking ill isn't good. Minutes later, though, Jordan tells Russell, hey, yo, it's Michael, not Michelle. Michael trying to hit the second free throw, does not. But Jordan sick and everything fights for the rebound. Out to Pippen. Pip to Mike. Michael, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your threes just hypnotize me. Despite being sick and not being able to walk, Mike had 38 points. No on the three. Stockton with the ball. Scotty, very intelligent foul. Stockton shooting 85% from the free throw line in the playoffs. Misses it. Misses the first effectively ending the game. Michael could barely put his arms up in the air. Unbelievable game by Michael Jordan. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, everybody. I thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate your viewership each and every week. That's my time. That's the show. That's all I have for you. This is the Pody signing off. I'll see everybody next week. Enjoy your weekend.